0: Welcome in to another episode of turn the corner a D Detroit Tigers podcast I'm Karen Steckley with me as always is a man who is so fly he skips the line at TSA he is Cody Stavenhagen how you doing
1: hey that's the truth if you don't have pre-check you're doing it wrong
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what on the way back from New Orleans I was really wishing I had pre-check as I was standing <laughs> in that long-ass line with my gimpy leg and not being able to understand anything anybody was saying, probably because of my fogginess, part of it being the accents of, of folk down there. I uh, was envious of you in that moment, for sure. So, a couple, a couple newsy events for the Tigers this week. We'll get to that in a second. But the first order of business is... The promise that was made last week about a review of Taylor Swift's Midnight album. You've had a little bit more time to digest it, to take it in a little bit more, Cody. I know uh, the listens are great in number for you. Uh, what is this album all about? its It seems like it's... Is this Taylor Swift's like new lane that she's going in, or what, what's going on?
1: Well, I think it's, it's certainly a... Revert back to pop after the almost indie type albums, folklore and evermore, made during the pandemic. A lot of people have said it's almost a blend between 1989 and Reputation, or Lover and Reputation, and I think that's true. It's not really a a, a new lane. It's a little bit of a different twist on um, her older pop lane. I think. It's such a different take and it speaks to Taylor's versatility as an artist that she's able to do these different types of albums and do them all extremely well. I think it's important to view Midnight's for what it is, which Taylor has described it as a concept album, 13 songs written in the middle of the night about 13 different sleepless nights. I think you can kind of zoom in and find two parallel storylines going on in this album one kind of about the the beauty of falling in love and you're up at night and you're thinking how awesome this is and two, the intrusive thoughts that can come at night when you can't sleep and suddenly you're questioning everything about your life and questioning yourself. I think the songs kind of reflect those two themes. They almost alternate, really. Um, I'm not sure this album stands out for any huge hits the way maybe in 1989 would uh, but I think for a concept album, it works perfectly. It's it's nice and concise. It tells a story. Um, that The album Reputation always reminded me of Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town. And I know it, it might be strange to compare Taylor Swift and Springsteen, but I think it speaks to their strengths as an artist. That both of their album, that both of them make albums that stand on their own so much that are distinct from the rest of their work that have a a point and a purpose. Um, so I think this is almost like a Nebraska for, for Taylor Swift, Springsteen's Nebraska. It was a little bit more of a concept album, a little bit more of a, in an album that dove into exploring the Midwest and small towns. And it probably didn't have Bruce's biggest hits, but it was a great album, top to bottom, and that's pretty much how I feel about Midnight's. I mean, there are definitely some, some highlights in the album. Lavender Haze* is a terrific opener. A lot of people are talking about anti-hero. Um, you know, I think Sweet Nothings and Karma are two of the best songs on the album. And there, there are a lot of memorable lines. You have, you know, allusions to some of the old ex-boyfriends, the current, ex- the current boyfriend, Joe Alwyn. All that's good and fine. Overall, I give the album an A minus. Um, it's a great listen. I think it gets better the more you listen to it. Um, and it, it, again, it's there. There are no real discernible weaknesses. If I had any criticism, I think the production of Jack Antonoff is getting a little bit old. If you listen and you hear this weird voice, that's kind of like, and I was the same. Like that's that's Jack Antonoff doing a lot of that stuff. I think it's getting overdone. Uh, I, I hope she maybe works with a different producer going forward. Um, but all that said, great album. A- minus for me.
0: Seems like this is one of those albums that, uh, you know, like, what they say, like George Clooney, one for them, one for me with his movies. And you basically alluded to that a little bit with Springsteen as well. This was like one for her. Is that sort of like a good way to classify it?
1: You know, I don't know. I think uh Taylor does everything for the people, right? You look at the way she unveil unveils each song at midnight and uh you could argue folklore was more of maybe like for her, it was more of an artistic Mm. endeavor, but it was you know, released during the pandemic, it was still wildly popular
0: in its own right, so um
1: you know, I I don't know.
0: Well, I'm not on TikTok, but sometimes TikTok stuff gets flooded into uh, into Twitter, and apparently there's a trend of women uh, inspired by Mastermind uh, giving stories about how they essentially trick their boyfriends into uh, getting with them, and it's pretty hilarious from pretending to be dumb at mass so you could get this guy to tutor you, and then you end up going out and stalking people on Instagram, but figuring out what their favorite books are, and then Gifting them that book or whatever, pretending like they love that book too. So, uh, she that definitely is had an...
1: frightening. I don't <laughs> like that.
0: I'm just saying it, it. It's out. It's out there. You guys can uh, check that out if you uh, if you so choose. On to some tigers notes. Uh, it didn't happen at midnight, but it did happen at a relatively <laughs> random time. The tigers made uh, some acquisitions and some. Separations, I guess, would be a, a, a nice way of putting it. Uh, in, in the front office, we're starting to see Scott Harris kind of put his uh, fingerprints on the front office a little bit more. The most notable was Rob Metzler comes from the Rays. He is going to be the assistant general manager and vice president. Uh, there's some. Every time I see a title code, I just go back to like it's become a motif now uh, for the past several months on this podcast of titles are meaningless. Uh, they're just kind of made up because he, uh, it seems like he's basically going to be doing the same job, but in order to hire him from another organization, you have to elevate in title and uh, I'm assuming elevate and pay as well to get somebody to leave uh, an organization that they'd been, been at for so long. So what do we kind of know about this hire? What do we know about uh, Mr. Rob and, and what can we kind of glean um, as we get a better sense of what Scott Harris is trying to do up in Detroit?
1: Mr. Rob, is that what we should call him from now on? I like that. Um, no, you know, this guy's been, I think, what, 15 years in the Rays organization. The last seven running, basically running their draft, acting as their amateur scouting director. Um So that's really his M.O. You know, he ran the Rays draft for the last several years and uncovered a bevy of useful prospects, some of them high round draft picks, some of them later round draft picks. The Rays obviously know what they're doing in terms of finding talent and then developing that talent. Probably the one thing notable about his transition to the Tigers, he'll also be overseeing international scouting, something uh, he hasn't actually done before, so it will come with a little bit of an increase in responsibility. And I thought it was interesting Scott Harris talked about really wanting the international and domestic scouting departments to work together. I basically, I guess, to have a more cohesive vision on what types of players they're trying to acquire. Um, I guess you would think some of that's self-explanatory, but it sounds like they had operated in the past more as two separate entities. So Metzler will kind of be uniting those in Detroit It does overall, though, seem like he's going to continue to be the scouting director, which surprised me when Harris said they'll probably hire a scouting director to work under uh, Mm -hmm. Metzler. So I don't know. Maybe this speaks to just having a bigger front office. I'll be curious, like, what's the exact separation of of duties there? Who's going to talk to the media on draft night? Rob Metzler or whoever's hired Mm -hmm. as the scouting director. But overall, I think this was a very important hire for the Tigers front office. Harris obviously comes with a pretty well-rounded background, um, but he's not a scout, you know. I think they needed that scouting mind in the organization, and notably, he'll replace one of the assistant GM slots. He'll replace David Chad, the Tigers. Um, the official line as they mutually parted ways sounds like they explored another. Uh, role for david in the organization i don't know if that role was like scouting alaska or what, or what exactly that <laughs> might have been but uh sounds like david was like uh no i'm good so david you know a longtime lieutenant to both dave dombrowski and alavila he was baseball america's scout of the 2000s uh was integral in some marlins and red sox drafts worked on, worked under theo epstein um you know and and drafted what jonathan Papelbon and and Josh Beckett, and, and some other big-name players, uh, but, you know, David definitely from kind of a different generation of scouts. I like David because he went to Kansas State and acts like a guy who went to Kansas State. If maybe only big 12 people will get, get, <laughs> get what I'm coming from there, but, you know, nice guy, but uh, I think it was pretty much clear the day, really last year when he was more or less demoted. And then from yeah. the day Alavila was fired that we'd probably seen the last of David Chad, Rob Metzler, definitely going to be forward-thinking, progressive, and he's has proven success in uh, one of baseball's most advanced organizations. So it seems like all good on that front, but my guy Rob, we got to get you a new picture, <laughs> man. The picture that came out on like the news release um, and then not that, the Tigers sent out to the media. It's just, it's just an awful headshot. It's not even. It's like kind of like a half, like torso up shot. I don't know. Karen, describe this picture for the people. It's so bad.
0: The best way to describe it is: Do you remember? I, I can't remember the name of the company, but I also won't say it because it's not like they sponsored this podcast. That like online tailor where you send a picture of yourself and then they like uh, give you like a custom shirt. <laughs> Uh, based on the measurements that they can do digitally. And they always show like the before and after where it's like, this shirt is too long. This shirt is too baggy in the torso. This shirt has too much, uh, you know, has too much material here. And it just, you know, they look at the guy and he just doesn't look like he's wearing a shirt that fits properly. And then you get the custom made shirt and oh my God, he looks so great. That picture looks like the before where it's like he didn't have a shirt that like fit properly. And it was like, if you got a tailor. To make a custom shirt, the after picture would look amazing. But the before picture is supposed to make it look like, man, this guy has a long way to go in order to dress properly. Uh, <laughs> it, it, and he also, it also seemed very clear he was in an environment that he was uncomfortable. uh, Like taking this weird portrait shot thing, you know, I guess God knows when this occurred or whether it was right after a long flight or something like it's unclear did the tigers take this when he did his interview uh, I think or something it was a
1: raised picture
0: okay it's a raised, raised picture. picture so it, you could just tell this was not really something that he really wanted to do you know what i don't really blame him on that front that's not really something i would want to do either but well, it, bro you're
1: the you're the scouting director for the tampa bay rays like i don't want to offend anyone but like why are you getting your clothes at walmart man like step up the game <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have no pushback on that. I think, you know, Scott's a pretty sharp-dressed guy. I think that he might is. be. I think that might be something that he helps his boy, Mister Rob, out a little bit and gets him, gets him connected with some tailor. Or you know, obviously the Illiches know fine clothes. You know, they can they can they can help a brother out there. Maybe this is just the epitome of the Rays. Uh, you know, they keep their money on the field. You know, like the Moneyball <laughs> line. <laughs> This looks well, like honestly,
1: a it's one of those you look at him and you're like, "Oh, is this kind of the the nerdy like Ivy League type?" And not really. Like this guy played college baseball at I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the school, it was a smaller college, I believe. But like this this guy was a college baseball player, so he knows the game. You know, he knows how to actually play it on the field.
0: Yeah, he does. He doesn't look like any college baseball player I was around at Oklahoma State. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's probably a difference in quality between Oklahoma State and Bowdoin College or wherever this guy went. But, um.
0: but he does have an interesting background. You know, speaking of, you know, go, you know, he uh, he worked and worked for the intern for the Red Sox. He worked for Baseball Info uh, Baseball Info Solutions. Uh, was around Cape Cod League um, as well. There's obviously a lot of great ball players that go through there every summer. And uh, and he's been a scout. He's got a uh, physics degree. I'm reading his stuff right now from uh, University of Mass Amherst. I mean, pretty impressive. And then work your way up for the, for the Rays. I mean, that doesn't happen accidentally. And all you got to say is he ran the Rays draft. And really, that really should just be the, the press release. Just one sentence. Ran the Rays draft for the past <laughs> however many years. And it's like, all right, yeah, we're good. Checks the boxes for uh, Tigers fans. Um, So, to me, this seemed like a move that Scott is kind of... He's making good on what he said at his introductory press conference. He was talking about how he didn't want to do things like one way, and he was going to find a variety of people to fill certain roles, and it wasn't just going to be a Dodgers thing. It wasn't just going to be a Theo thing. It was going to be... Um, He was going to bring in talent from a variety of backgrounds, and that was one of the things, uh, as I'm reading your story, Cody, that I guess he said in the video call is that, like, we're not bringing Metzler here to do the Rays 2.0, Rays North, Rays Midwest, or whatever. Um, He's going to mend his skill set with Scott's vision and and other people that they bring in or already have in-house. And they're gonna, you know, create their own like, you know, Tigers way or whatever. When I, mean, I thought that was important. I mean, I don't have to remind Detroit fans about the dangers of trying to copy um, a more successful organization's uh, method of doing things. Uh, so, to to me, I thought this was a good hire, and it was one that, you know, who knows? Obviously, if any of this is gonna work out, but it gives me a little bit of comfort to see Scott doing exactly what he said he was gonna do in this instance.
1: Yeah, I, I think in the past week we really saw Scott Harris beginning to put his stamp on this organization. The uh, the the red wedding has kind of begun in that people are losing their jobs. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Doug Teeter, the head trainer, is getting reassigned to Lakeland. Kevin Ran, the longtime director of medical service services, is uh, is out, and the
0: um, that's actually something that. I would love—I'm a weird guy sometimes, Cody. I would love to just sit with Scott and talk his ear off about how you go about determining who stays and who goes in the athletic training department for, like, you know, a job that you just took over. He's been on the job for, I don't know, what, six weeks? I don't know. Uh, and to make that decision—or those decisions, I should say— uh, relatively quickly i mean he said he was going to be doing a lot of listening and so obviously uh, you would have to assume that any moves that he makes with the people in house partially come from what he already knows about the tigers or about the infrastructure and part of it based on talking to people right so i would just love to know like how did he come to like okay teeter go to lakeland this guy you know where you're not know, your contract like what were those conversations like? I, I could listen to that for hours because this is it's one of those things that maybe if you're aspiring to be a GM, my, one of the first things you think is I gotta what am I gonna do with the athletic trainer? You know, you're thinking about all these other things, and but this is stuff that's really important, and it also kind of ties in again with his he's been consistent with his actions from his initial message, which is like everything kind of tying together. And looking at things a different way, and that I think, I mean, this is based on on your reporting. Uh, it seemed like this was more of a shakeup of how the Tigers are going to look. And you, you know, written about this uh, earlier in the season, are going to look at shape, reshape the way they look at players' bodies, injuries, prevention, being smarter about it. You could maybe argue that uh, Teeter, I know he's still like in the organization, but maybe and i don't know it's for a fact but maybe it's just like he looks at things a little bit more older way of looking at things than say like you know whoever's going to take that position under scott harris and just like david chad you know respected baseball man but we're we're going in a different direction now and so it's just not a really good fit it wouldn't be a good fit for him and you know be kind of uncomfortable so I would just love to know, like, all these conversations that kind of go in, especially, like, with athletic training. Like, how do you even come to that? What, Who did you yeah. talk to about that stuff? I would find that fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Steve Chase. He was the strength and conditioning coach who is also not returning. My sense is it seems more like kind of department heads who aren't coming back. Now, why is Teeter reassigned to Lakeland versus just being let go? I'm not real sure. Maybe he's – I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much because I have no idea – It seems like even in scouting, like there's some changes at the top, changes in leadership and vision. And then I'm getting the impression like, all right, if we have the right leader who's going to convey the right message, Mm. then the people under them can continue to do their jobs. Or maybe that's something that, that just changes in a slower fashion. You get the leader in and then they begin hiring their own people. Maybe that unfolds over the course of a few years. That would probably be my guess as to kind of what's going on. Um, definitely, you know, we talked about a lot through the season. Uh, it's not fair to be like, oh, Doug Teeter sucked at his job. right? But I do think we know there were the Tigers were behind the curve. The training staff operated more under, oh, this guy's arm is sore. Let's decrease the inflammation and see what it takes to get him on the field versus – looking at biomechanical data and being proactive to see, is this guy at risk for injury? And then I asked Scott Harris, like, do you have a vision for what this looks like going forward? And his answer, let's just say, not something Al Avila would have ever like, put together. He said, we need to understand how our players are moving and how we can align those movements with our hitting coaches and pitching coaches we have a medical and strength and conditioning department that has strong relationships with our pitching department and our hitting department, then all of a sudden we can work on movement patterns that are going to help our guys get a little bit more power out of their deliveries or get a little more contact or reshape their bat paths to allow them to perform a little bit better. That right there tells you, yeah, we're about to be doing stuff way, <laughs> way differently. Um, and that was the other thing. Harris was so good in his press conference about this stuff and just like delivering a strong message with like a clear point, uh, definitely an effective communicator, also a uh, a little change from the Avila regime. I thought it was um, really interesting to listen to Scott. A lot of this stuff he couldn't get super specific on, but even talking big picture, uh, just the like the way he was able to deliver his messages with clarity and precision stood out to me. And I think that's something you want from your head of baseball operations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as a fan, and I think as a media member too, um, I don't want to speak for you, you. You kind of appreciate someone who says what they can, you know, and is forthright in the, in the right ways, um, I guess is, is is a way of putting it. Um, because you're right, I don't think Al would have. There's no way that was coming out of his mouth. I, I'm trying not to be mean here. There's no, there's just no way it's coming out of his mouth. I don't think he would think that way. I just don't think that's how he's wired. Same thing with anyone who uh, goes under the old title of respected baseball man. Uh, I actually wrote that. Oh man. I wrote that down in my notes. Uh, no more baseball man. That was my, oh, that was my reaction to <laughs> Metzler's hire. Um, and just for some housekeeping, there will be an assistant uh, or excuse me there will be a GM, but there's no timetable. He hasn't done interviews for it yet, right That's correct.
1: Yeah, no interviews yet. there've been a couple rumors flying various names like could this person be the GM. Uh, I wonder if those people were actually interviewing for this job Metzler ended up getting, so that seemed like Scott's way of kind of diffusing this, like, no, we're we're not, nowhere close to hiring a GM. It sounds like it's really not high on the priority list, which is kind of interesting. You might like to think you would have your cabinet in place before you start going and making decisions, uh, but it doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds like Scott's got a lot of other business to tend to, and he'll maybe that's something you take some time and assess, and then... Okay, what does our organization still lack? Let's try to bring in that guy. Um, so it might not even be something that happens this winter. I mean, I don't know for a fact. It's There are teams out there that have delayed kind of this number two hire for up to a year after bringing in a new head of baseball ops.
0: You know what? That makes actually a lot of sense to me. Like if you're spending time, like if you're going into the roots of an organization, and by that I mean like you know, athletic training staff and making all these moves. Yeah, I kind of understand not, you know, having any interviews yet with <laughs> with potential number two, uh, hires. And, you know, if, if, if they didn't have this Metzler hire, uh, yet or, you know, anything similar to it, like to me, this seems like a guy. I know he's not going to be the number two, but this, like, in my mind is like, all right, well, here's, like, a number two ish hire. So it's not like they're going through this offseason without, uh, sort of adding to the the cupboard uh in the front office so that's gonna kind of, you know it's i get that i get that and why rush it and not to mention all the work that has to be done uh with free agency technically like what a week away like you know ish or whatever yeah five
1: days after the world series it gets going so that's that's gonna come out as quick and you can begin trading the day after the World Series. So,
0: well, yeah, as we learned last year, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but also, maybe there's something to uh, wanting to talk to some people at GM meetings and and in winter meetings before mm-hmm. making making that uh, decision. Uh, real quick, do you believe the story about being stopped on the on the sidewalk?
1: i heard some people say he was making that up i was like scott's there there was a lot of people that were
0: pushing back on it i'm not saying i am i'm just putting it out there i
1: I, I don't think he just like fabricated it
0: right (laughs) i I wouldn't
1: think so no like like why like why you know why would he do that it was (laughs) i i i think maybe he didn't convey it like i don't think it was like this car like pulled over and like swerved i got it as like Maybe a group of people were like getting out of the car in like a parking lot or something yeah. and see Scott across the street. You know, I think it was uh, that's more how I interpreted it. I think it's entirely reasonable to think Scott's walking around Detroit and some fans yeah. see him and start talking about the Tigers. Yeah. I know Alavella would say people did that. I There are people, yeah. you know, in Birmingham who will send AJ Hinch like, you know, a, a drink or whatever and they don't necessarily bug him, but people know who these guys are
0: by the way and, it's a ba- uh, it's a ba- it's a sports town they know yeah, they no, know their I, stuff you know I, I i believe it
1: if you just fabricate, like that's not worth fabricating. If you're <laughs> going to make up an anecdote like make it a little juicier than that you know <laughs> yeah. rather than i saw some fans and i talked to them like
0: come on uh yeah i'm not going to get into ways that I, if i were to fabricate that story what it would involve <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely probably involve some drinks and And some other shenanigans, let's just phrase it like Maybe
1: that's the party left out. Maybe you (laughs) ended
0: up partying with these guys. (laughs) Yeah, we just went went over to Little Caesars and had a Pepsi and then... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Now
1: that's how you would know it was fabricated right there. Had to stop and withdraw some cash from the Comerica Bank ATM.
0: (laughs) Go over to Motor City Casino and... (laughs) Yeah, that would be good. Actually, now I want him to do The next story, Scott, I know you're listening. Next story, just list off every single sponsor of the Tigers and, and include it in there, just like Peyton Manning after the Super Bowl. It's like, I can't wait to have some Papa John's pizza and some Budweiser and celebrate this win. Uh, you
1: know, my buddy Kieran fell and hurt his knee, <laughs> but thanks to our good friends at McLaren
0: Healthcare. <laughs> I'm down for it. I'm so down for it. Well... To get back to some talk topics of actual substance, uh, and fingerprints potentially, um, we will see from Scott Harris. Tell so, I me mean, if you've heard this before, but the Tigers have questions at catcher, and you wrote I wrote about it this week. We're good, just saying. Like Tucker's not coming back, right? That we're what, what's
1: what? yeah. I'm like I'm like. Yeah, no, he's he's not going no, back. It, I do wonder if he could be like a good bounce back candidate for another team, um, but I think it's part of like this year in Detroit just wasn't good for him. It was like an odd experience. I just I think it's best for both sides. And standards. sometimes
0: I mean that's important to know, too. Sometimes like especially if you're traded, right? Um, and then you throw in everything else that was weird in for baseball in general, not just uh, the Tigers sometimes that's fine he can go i hope he goes and has success elsewhere you know and and it won't be like a reflection i wouldn't think of necessarily like the tigers operation or like aj hinch or you know anything like that so i mean sometimes it's just it's weird again we always say like with the analogies of your own job like when's the last time any of y'all got traded somewhere you know outside of your consent you know it just doesn't happen so uh so hopefully you know he goes on goes somewhere else makes a ton of money has some success it'll be you know be real happy for him. I thought he was a good steward for the organization for the year that he was here. And it was obviously an incredibly difficult year trying to manage all those pitchers and throwing all the losing. And he had himself statistically like his worst season of his career offensively. So, you know, it it sucks. Hopefully he uh, goes somewhere and, you know, has some success. But what that leaves the Tigers with is a lot of, Okay, it's kind of like what I'm looking at the uh, the prospects at catcher, and I mean that in a broad term, not specific to minor leaguers. Uh, Ericos is a guy that I don't think we necessarily realized in the moment how solid he was uh, offensively, I th- and and we've given him credit for being one of the and Tucker was too, but uh, for Eric being one of the voices of the team. Um, I, I I certainly appreciate that. I, I think as a media member, I think you appreciate that as well. Um. Part of me thinks like I don't. I, I just want to with uh, air costs. I just want to keep it here. I'm not really necessarily looking to like expand the role, if that makes sense. Because I feel like. I feel like if you play him too much, then the flaws come out more, right? So that would be my concern. Plus. You know, some of the numbers offensively aren't, you know, what you're looking for. But I do think he has a place on this team.
1: Yeah, I think he's certainly earned his earned his spot. Uh, What's weird to think about, the Tigers were seventh in catcher war in 2021 and 14th this past year, despite how bad Tucker was. They were middle of the pack, slightly above average in terms of production from their catchers. That's largely because of the offense you get from Haas. Um, a little bit more offense than your average catcher. I think as much as anything, it speaks toward um, how few good hitting catchers are out there in the league right now. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, if you're really thinking long-term with the advent of automatic balls and strikes, robo arms, like I wonder if this is about to shift. That's all a way of saying though, I don't know what the Tigers should do here. I think if I'm just looking at the pure numbers, I'm thinking, wow, Haas is, Haas is actually pretty good, you know. Heck, you know, he's positive war. We are 14th in catchers. We have all these other needs. Maybe I'm not going to mess with this too much. Maybe I give Haas a little more time and hope that Jake Rogers comes back and is what we think he is. And if he's not, we've got this Michael pepperisky guy who we think is a good defender. Maybe he can help out a little bit. If I were building a team on, like, out-of-the-park baseball, that's probably what I would do, and I would – devote my money and my resources to other positions. But this is not a game, this is a real life and catcher is an important position. I think AJ Hinch is probably going to want a reliable defensive backstop and game caller and again that's where Haas really he's not very good defensively. That's just the reality. He's not a good framer I think even in sequencing you can tell the difference. He's uh, his numbers controlling the running game I believe are better than you would think but Mm, you know, he, he has a tendency to throw some two-seamers down to second base. That can be yeah. tough for his infielders to handle, again, at the plate. If you give him more at-bats, more at bats against righties, do, does his production end up coming down? It, it certainly could, although he handled righties better than probably expected this past year. Uh, but mostly a guy who, in theory, does more of his damage against lefties. Now, if you look at the numbers, you can dispel that and say that maybe that's kind of a... a bias we have that's not true because he did find against righties this season at 239 at 10 of his 14 homers against righties slugging numbers were better against left but not terrible uh the problem is though okay so let's say you're going to bring in someone outside the organization who is that going to be i don't think could be wrong i don't think you're going to go give wilson Contreras a hundred million dollars He's really the only free agent catcher. It's like, oh, this is a dude. You have some other guys. Mike Zunino is a player I like a lot. A couple other guys, and Werner you know, Christian Vazquez, who are like pretty good, maybe a little better than the crop of Tucker, Austin Romine, like Robinson Trinos. This list of guy, you know, Kirk Casali, These guys who are free agents. It seems like every year and they produce around league average, and it is what it is, but no one signs him to long-term deals. The other option is, could you pull off a trade? I think Danny Jansen of the Blue Jays and Sean Murphy of the A's could both be on the trade market. Both two pretty good catchers right there. Caveat there, these guys aren't going to come cheap, Sean Murphy especially. Other teams are going to be trying to trade him. What do you have to trade? And when you're probably trying to acquire other talent, are you devoting the few trade assets you have to acquire a catcher? Um, this is all where, man, it, it just gets hard. Like, there's a case. I was really against last offseason just rolling with Haas and Rogers. Um Haas, I think, proved himself a little more than I would have thought. So, like, there's a case to maybe go down that lane. I feel like the Tigers are going to want to add someone else, but it's like, who... And where are you actually getting value? And Scott Harris finds out the answer to that question. He's going to earn that large paycheck he's getting. Because I don't know the answer to it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think, see, this quote was from the Metzler hire. But I think it definitely applies to what you do at catchers. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep since uh, since, (laughs) since I uh, came to Detroit. uh, Because this would keep me up at night. You know, if I was him, uh, for sure. And I keep, when, when it comes to the catcher situation, I keep coming back to his ethos, him being Scott Harris, his ethos at the opening press conference. Dominate the strike zone. Yeah. And catcher is a huge part of that, from obviously calling the game, from managing pitchers, and then at least until there's robo-womps, pitch framing.
1: That's a terrific point. You're going to make it on that promise, but at least for the next year, you need a dude who can frame some pitches. And Jake Rogers is, in theory, pretty good at it. Jake Rogers is coming off Tommy John. We don't actually know. Like, he has a sporadic hitting track record. Is he, like, the dude? It's still very much a question. Uh, There's a world in which Jake could fill this role. That's also, like, a pretty heavy bet you know, to,
0: to kind of bet it all on Jake right now. So as I tried to process what I think might be the, the move that makes the most sense, I, I'm kind of going toward the, let's see, like I, like the motto of the 2023 Tigers might be, "Let's let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see if Jake can be it. Let's see if Eric Haas can assume a little bit more responsibility Obviously, you're gonna get, you know, you bring in probably probably gonna bring in like another guy on like a minor league deal or something, and um, you know, let's see if Dingler can, you know, ascend in the system a little bit. Uh, let's see. It was it's Crouch, right? Is it Crouch? Josh, uh Josh, Yeah, yeah uh, Crouch can continue to ascend a little bit, maybe because you know, who knows? We could be talking next year, and he might be the number one catcher in the system, right? So. Uh, Let's see it. I don't know. I wouldn't devote any heavy resources into Catcher because you just have so many bodies of guys that you need to figure out what they are. And I think this would apply to other portions of the team. But specifically for Catcher, I just want to know. Like, I just want to know about these guys. There's been so many things that have gone against them outside their control whether it's injuries whether it's lockout whether it's pandemic shortened season in college or whatever like there's been a lot that's gone against these guys and I just want some sort of fluid off-season season and then next off-season you have a better picture especially when as you said you just cannot I'm I'm going to say this and of course there's going to be a trade uh in a week uh <laughs> <laughs> you just cannot in my opinion i just don't think it would be smart to dedicate organizational assets to to the catching position in a scenario where that position is also going to be expensive if you're acquiring somebody right so like i just i just don't know if that's really the best way to go about it you've invested in this position already i just want to see it i just want to see it it's it's
1: Pretty interesting divide between like analytics and like the the eye test. If I were to ask you, Kieran, how good do you feel about the Tigers catching core right now?
0: Oh not, not, not good. Okay.
1: Well they ranked 14th in war is actually one of their better positions. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. The only yeah. the only way you're going to get better wins above replacement, real like tangible, I'm talking adding two, three war to your catcher spot. Probably trading Sean Murphy or signing Wilson Contreras. I don't, you know, those are those are pretty extreme options. I'd be surprised if either of those things were to happen. So there's the case. Like, do you just feel good about running it back, or do you say, you know, I know the numbers say this, but like, we need a real leader, a real game caller, a better pitch framer. Uh, we need this and that, and maybe there's some intangible value, especially at catcher, that wins above replacement and does not capture. Um, interesting argument, but. You look at the list of needs, you look at war, like Tigers need a first baseman, whether that's Spencer Torkelson or, you know, if you're going to get creative, like, you know, corner infield is is arguably your biggest yeah. needs. We talk about shortstop, like, oh, man, like, well, I don't know, like, Javi Baez was at least a positive war player, you know, you have other positions on the diamond where that is not <laughs> the case. Uh, yeah. So that, that, will, that will also be interesting to see. I think Scott Harris mentioned GM meetings in Vegas, November 8th, 9th, 10th. He's going to speak publicly a little more about what his actual roster priorities are. And let me tell you, I'm fascinated to figure out what he's going to say because when I look at this roster, it just it makes my head hurt. And I'm like, I don't even know what you put as number one on the priority list. I Probably you got to get better bats, but you could, I don't know. You could argue like, no, our starting pitching wasn't good enough. Like that's a huge weakness. I think you, mm-hmm. you can at least feel like you have some pieces in house that, if healthy, can take care of that. Where offensively, you know, it's anyone's guess.
0: No, what well, what it comes down to is, like, you can't solve every problem in one off season. Right, you just can't do it, especially when your focus, just in general, when you're taking over running an organization, has to do a lot with infrastructure. Again, the athletic training thing. Like, like, those are serious moves, serious moves that have real, tangible implications to the on-field product. You you need to have, like, certain parts of, of your team that you can just be like, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, I'll cross that bridge when, when I get there, you know, but, like, no, no one's sitting here pretending like they got catcher figured out, but... I just I just feel like there's a lot more areas that you can make better now. If the free agency class was stellar, like you know the the equivalent of like uh, shortstop last year, you know, we we have we're having a different conversation, right? But if it's trade for give up what few assets you have as you're trying to build up your uh your farm system, give up what few assets you have and then increase your payroll for you know. I don't know all these people's contract situation, but safe to say that they're probably coming up on free agency if they're on the trade block, right? So then you're just kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. And think about how great we all felt about the team last year with the moves because, you know, the team's built up the middle. So you had, you know, you trade for Tucker and then you sign Hobby and then you're anticipating. You know, Riley Green coming up and, you know, up the middle. You see, and of course, the young pitching staff coming into their own. In, in some fashion, up the middle Tigers disappointed. Like straight down the line. Now, Riley, it was because of the injury. It's not his fault. But obviously, we don't have to talk about how Javi disappointed. And then we just talked about how Tucker's numbers weren't very good. And then, of course, the litany of injuries at pitcher. I mean, it's funny. Uh, That's me- what, like,
1: seems like it. And then you look at it, it's like, well... Catcher actually wasn't that bad. Shortstop, I'd, I'd have to look at what they ranked in the league, but wasn't that bad. And then Riley Green, you still have uh, perhaps a future star. So, like, it's easy to say, oh, we need more production up the middle. Well, actually, it's the corners where you've got almost no production this past year as mm-hmm. well as starting pitching. I'm going to look up shortstop
0: right now. Bear with me. And you know, and, and relate.
1: Tigers twenty second in shortstop award two point five, so not great. Could certainly be better, but you ranked, you know. You were terrible <laughs> in a lot of other, a lot of other facets. Actually, you were nineteenth in outfield. That surprises me. Twentieth in right field, nineteenth in left field. I guess. I guess it's not as bad as I thought. 26th nice. at third base. And then if you're just looking at this, your worst position was first base, ranked 29th, -1.3 wins above replacement. Not I
0: shocking there. And you know, not not shocking there. And so mm-hmm. and so yeah, uh to to me, I just want to I just I don't want to interrupt some development of the young guys and some opportunities for the young guys. And this is not me thinking, like, Dingler's the future at catcher. I don't know. But I'd like to get a little bit better in indication either way. You know, I know it wasn't Scott Harris's pick, but that was, yeah. you know, heavy draft capital invested in Dingler, right? So, you know, and, and then Jake Rogers, the last— Well, I guess he's not the last vestige, but— uh one of the last hopeful vestiges of the Justin Verlander trade. Which side note, people are asking, did did the Tigers actually win this trade? Have you seen Verlander's World Series numbers? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe there was a long view. They knew if they ever got to the World Series.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, I I know I wasn't the only one watching Verlander <laughs> face Nick Castellanos and kinda of adding up in my head and thinking, alright, well Alex Lang's a pretty good reliever you know
0: (laughs) I I just say this I don't know if I can handle another crucial sliding catch by Nick Castellanos in the outfield we
1: gotta talk (laughs) about Nick Nick wow who knows what will happen in games two and three this will be dated by the time this podcast comes out but oh my gosh Nick I thought that ball was (laughs) dropping for sure I just I, I just don't know
0: if I can I just don't know if I can handle it. It's like this is literally not something that we believed you' capable of uh, just a couple of years ago. But uh, you know, good for Nick. Good for Nick. He seems to be enjoying himself. And the the Verlander thing is just odd, man. It's just it's just really odd. I mean, the numbers it really is. Oh and 6, really is. 29 earned runs and in forty three innings. That's a six oh seven ERA uh, in World Series play, and you know, between obviously the Astros and the Tigers, he's. This is not a small sample size. Like, he has had plenty of World Series experience, and it's just one of those things. Baseball is riddled with great players over history that are just terrible in the postseason. Just, like, atrocious. Um, I don't think Barry Bonds was very good until, uh, yeah. Sammy had the struggles. We talked about the 03 Braves last week. Sammy was terrible in the postseason up until 03, Sammy Sosa. And uh, mm-hmm. Cobb's World Series uh, track record is. It was yeah, really bad, was bad in the bad World, World Series, too, uh, man. three straight there. So yeah, it's just a just like a weird deal, but but anyway, to get back to to catcher for a second, um, in theory, Jake Rogers is going to be okay, but I guess we have no way of knowing that in terms of his health with, with his arm. But we have we have no way we have we have no way of knowing that, and then with His bat, I don't know. I almost think, like, part of what led me to get to the conclusion of let's see it is that you could probably argue that Rodgers and Haas, if you're just going to go the straight platoon route, you know, kind of complement each other pretty well. Um, Oh, they definitely do. You would assume that under the tutelage of AJ, like, there can be some improvements for, you know, Haas defensively. You know, just incremental, small ones, but it could be improved and then we talk about how bad catchers are at hitting all cross baseball. It Jake Rogers kinda does anything, like, you know, you you feel like that's a positive, right? So and man, that injury happened at a bad time. I'm just like thinking about thinking about how um how it seemed like he might be like getting a little bit better form, and then, boom, uh, Tommy John.
1: Yeah, there's something that makes me a little pessimistic about Jake. How many, you know, everyone felt really good about what Jake did in 2021, right? How many games off top of your head? How many games do you think he played? In,
0: in uh, 82. You
1: know. <laughs>
0: 38. <laughs>
1: I would have said like 55, 38. He had a good month in which he still hit 239 with a 306 OBP. It was a really, really small sample. Like, he, he barely played more than... That's what
0: I lot. mean. I, I Like, I just want to see it. That's what I mean by that. Know. I just want to see it. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying, like, do this because you've got to figure it out. I just... I'm just tired of, like, not knowing, you know, and that there's a several aspects of this organization that I'm just tired of not knowing, like, whether these guys can be good or not. Or maybe not even good. Good's too strong of uh, of work. Can they be average? Because they... Well, I'm... Like, like,
1: like, who else? Because I'm tired of watching these other guys like Victor Reyes and Willie Castro, and, like, maybe we can get them to be average. Like, it's time to stop hoping and well, go get
0: players who are actually... Major league yes, regulars. but I'm not even. But I'm not saying I hope Jake Rogers can be average. I just want to know if he can't. Like I just don't because I just don't know.
1: He's he's one you definitely still got to yeah. find
0: out. On that, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on the hoping and praying. It's like oh, Victor Reyes and you know, you know, you know Willie Castro. I'm with you there. I just those guys we we it's been established. I just I just want some players to get established either way, and then we can get, and kind of go from there. Uh, so, and, and again, not everything affects everything. To go back to uh, our our college fo- uh, college days as beat writers, Mike Yurcich, shout out. This is not. I wouldn't be thinking this way if the market was good. The market's not good. Sure. A- and I think you, you your plan, if you're Scott Harris, has to be in reaction to what the market is. And with anything, with anything, with the corners, with the outfield, with, you know, acquiring another pitcher, you know, like, what's the market? Are you really doing your organization that much good by bringing in, I mean, no offense, but bringing in another row mine? Like, what are we accomplishing by doing that, you know? And again, in a lot of ways, 2023 is going to be a let's see it. I don't want to use the word wash, but like, you know, it's not going to be a instant fix to go through this organization so i'd rather at least see who see what these guys can do and if they can't do it then we move on i, I would love to get to that point cody with the reyes thing and the in the castro thing i just want to get to move on stage with this team it's like all right cool thanks thank you for your service but we're going in a different direction the reason why those guys still get at bats is because there's no other option so i would like to that's not really in the rebuild, like, you know, stage. Like, you don't really, like, get, there's not, like, a name for that. But that's where I want to be. And it's not going to happen this off season. But that's where I want to be.
1: Uh, I think Harris is not going to have any loyalty to some of these guys. I think there's going to be, I don't know who exactly, but I think there will be a moving on from some of these guys who we've been waiting yeah. for two to three years to see if they're actually good. and every now and then there's a flash and it's like, no, now we have like a sample size and we can tell you these guys are not going to help you construct well, a winning I, team. I think Scott Harris is I, I think there are gonna be some guys who will not I be
0: think bad. it's pretty clear that Scott is going to actually look at it that way. Whereas I'm not I'm not really sure if uh respected baseball men thought it that fashion, if that makes sense. Correct. Yeah so all right, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here with a little uh, New Orleans uh, bachelor party story. Um, so here's your warning. If you don't want to hear the words... Careers, if you kids. don't want to hear anything related to a gentleman's club um, environment, uh, then you know <laughs> this is your warning. We're about to talk about it. So uh, one of our friends uh, from Stillwater... Is a guy named Jordan, and he is from a small town in Oklahoma. How small of a town is it? I'll tell you, it's the town that inspired the movie Footloose. That's like Like one time we were at a a bar in Stillwater, and he pointed a uh, pointed a girl out to me. He's like, "That's the granddaughter of the woman that like the main character of Footloose was based on." I was like, "What?" <laughs> that blew my mind. Um, wow. and so, so yes, that small of a town.
1: You're not even mentioning like he would see the guy from Tiger King at his, his like aunt sold Joe Exotic a bear or yeah,
0: something. Yeah. That's where this guy yeah. is from. That's literally where this guy so, is yeah, from. So yeah, if you watch Tiger King, then you get a little bit of a sense of, of, of his roots. And he actually does have that same like Seth Wadley, like dealership hat that uh, <laughs> Joe Exotic would wear all the time. So, uh, so, yeah, he is as green as it comes. Like, he he'll he orders white Russians at bars because of the Big Lebowski. And people look at him funny every time, but he doesn't care because he's, he's that kind of, he's that, like, uh, my wife described him upon getting to know him as precious. So he's like, he's so precious. He's so precious. <laughs> and I was like, it's not really what you want to be known as, as a guy from a woman's perspective, but that's okay. So, Precious Jordan, you know he's having a good time. He's never been to a gentleman's club, so we said, okay, well, plus you know it's a bachelor party, it's what you do, right? So we uh, we choose one that didn't have an outrageous cover, and <laughs> and uh, and go inside, get a table. It's about what six of us, I think, and and so Cody, I believe you were one that made the decision that you wanted to get jordan a uh a private dance and so you're like the way i remember tell me if uh, if i'm wrong here the way i remember is that we were both kind of loaded and you were trying to scrunch up money for a private dance and you said you needed ten dollars and i looked at my wallet and i was like looking for a ten dollar bill and <laughs> and i don't find one so then I go. I have two fives. I say that out loud. I have two fives, and you look at me for about three seconds, like like you're contemplating what I had just said, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, that will work. Yeah, yeah, two fives. That's ten dollars."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that definitely happened. That gives you an
1: idea <laughs> of the the state. I was yeah,
0: like. Now troubling trying to figure out if two fives equals ten dollars uh, so we, we, we get you know Jordan has his little dance or whatever and uh the the woman that you know gave him the dance like goes on stage and uh and Jordan recalls to us later that he waved at her when she was on stage and then she waved back and he thought that was like the coolest thing that she waved back at him. <laughs> From this
1: She blew him bl- a kiss as she was leaving. He was he was smitten.
0: <laughs> he probably felt some things he had never felt before. And so we asked him later, like, what 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 was it like? And and he goes, uh what did he say? He was surprised.
1: I go, I go, Jordan, how did it like compare to your expectations? Because I knew he... He watches you know, a ton of movies and I TV viewed, shows. Probably yeah. viewed this as, yeah, like a fictional place mm-hmm. almost. So was like, how did it compare to what you were expecting going in?
0: And, and his answer did not disappoint. <laughs> what did he say? He said, there was no buffet. He says, number one, I thought you'd be a buffet. <laughs> that was his first takeaway. Which again, away. we're on Bourbon Street. Not saying that doesn't exist, but like we're on Bourbon Street. There's no if there was one you would not want to eat it uh number one he also said he was well he said that uh he was surprised like how aggressive the dancers were like trying to get people to like pay for like lap dances or whatever he was like i thought i would have to like order one like put his, <laughs> put his finger up one lap dance please <laughs> And then, I, remember, I forget what the third big take was. Uh, he goes,
1: I thought there'd be a pimp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: he thought there'd be someone, like, watching him as he was, uh, you know, getting the private dance. Like, yeah, like a pimp or something. And that, I think that was the one that...
1: Like, just that he used <laughs> the word pimp just
0: yeah. Sydney me. I was like,
1: what? what like, what? It's
0: like, like I, I, I had a huge headache. It's like, the next morning. I had a huge headache, but that, like, I peeled over like that my body hurt from laughing so much (laughs) he's like I thought there'd be a pimp
1: like I'm sure he imagined all gentlemen's clubs (laughs) are run by like some guy wearing a purple suit feathering the cab the the cane and like yeah (laughs) (laughs) so
0: so what's funny is that that establishment that we went to uh like the next the next day we were kind of walking around and I I I had decided, like, I needed to needed to talk to talk to my wife because she had her bachelorette party at uh at New Orleans for Mardi Gras, and uh, and she not really a big fan of strip clubs, you know. does not try to make it a big deal, but just not like a big fan of them. And so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I prefer if you didn't, but if you did, you know, it's you know not that big a deal. So. At her bachelorette party, they were drinking at a bar that didn't have a bathroom. And she was obviously loaded because it's her bachelorette party. And so she needed to go throw up. You can't throw up in the streets, and you get kicked out. Um, even, you know, there's some rules that go on on Bourbon Street. And that would be one of them. And so they point her. It's like you can't. There, it's just a small little sidebar. But you have to go inside this next door establishment in order to go to the bathroom. So they go up and she vomits in the in the bathroom and later it is revealed that they were at a strip club when that happened like they she threw up in a strip club at her bachelorette party there's a story out of context that just uh, makes no sense but <laughs> uh she claimed they claimed they did not know they did not know that they were uh, they were in a strip club until they were physically in there so Cody and I decided to do a little bit of investigative journalism to figure out, because they couldn't remember the name of it, which one it was. So I get the details, get like the approximate uh, location. And on our second night on Bourbon Street, I go, Cody, it's the same one we were at last night. <laughs> 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 so Because they, yeah, they have a little sidebar that you can just drink at. And then, you know, it's right next to the main entrance to go into the club. The thing is, though, there are signs everywhere oh just everywhere yeah. That's say cabernet like it's it's not they're not like the thing about these establishments is they're not really trying to hide what they are because if they were no one will come in so like <laughs> like the, the the fact no I, I i stand by that
1: like even that little sidebar just looks i don't know how to describe it it just kind of looks like it's attached to a gentleman's yeah. club and it's know? the same it logo it's kind of like the big, same nice like the logo there was a big rug on the floor that said like Rick's cabaret yeah. like
0: it was,
1: like like come on yeah.
0: people and you then <laughs> if you didn't know you should and then they uh so after i say that we found it um they send us a picture uh, that, like, one of the girls took when she went to the bathroom, and so they had their phone out in a, in a strip club, which is obviously a big no-no. Uh, of, of like Alexis, like, talking to somebody over the ledge, like, into the main room. Like, there's s- spotlights and rugs, like you said. Like, I was like, this does not help your cause. <laughs> you didn't know. This does not help your cause. So, funny coincidence that, uh, that we happened to go into the same club that my uh, soon-to-be wife at the time had to go throw up in because she was so drunk at her bachelor party at Mardi Gras. So how's how's that for a funny little coincidence? <laughs> I
1: feel like you need to go take a shower now.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well, you can't. So that's... <laughs> that's... Uh, that's one little bachelor party story. We'll probably share a couple more here throughout the off season. Uh that one was just too it was just too juicy that uh that we ended up being at the same club that that Alexis had to had to be sick in. So anything else Cody you kind of wanted to get into before we jet out?
1: No, we're go- MLB canceled the Korea series. Not going to be a thing. Guess AJ doesn't get to go to Korea. Yeah,
0: didn't even know that. It's- Major major disappointment. Didn't even see, didn't even see that news. Missed missed that missed that headline.
1: That's something to do with like a corporate sponsor or something weird. I don't know. Not happening.
0: So. Very strange. Well, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, please, at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, and at Turn Corner Pod. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Five star review if you feel so inclined. And please subscribe to the Athletics so that Cody can keep churning out some good stories, including from Las Vegas here, not too uh, in the not too distant future. So, for Cody Stamenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody, have a great week.